0: Everybody. Welcome to the comic trope episode 2. I'm in a very small room with two other individuals half-eaten chocolate eggs sprawled across the floor peeps dismembered and <laughs> we're just sitting here fat and Eastered real hard Eastered real hard. So that's our new uh, intro the comic trope Eastered real hard Easter real hard. Easter, <laughs> Easter, real hard. <laughs> yeah. If this doesn't work out, obviously I'll go into hip-hop because Naturally. that's a hook. You, I mean, basically,
1: one. at this point, are place guess a, a down-south rapper.
0: Yeah. Just need lots of hi-hat. Yeah. All right. So, again, the comic trope. I am here with Dave and Sequoia. Amos, unfortunately, has uh, other horrible... Things happen to it. <laughs> I was trying to think of the gas in marble right now that uh, eats you alive if you're a mutant. It gives you a disease, but I'm just not that comic right Mist? Yes! <laughs> Unfortunately, Amos has been eaten alive by the Terrigen Mist and cannot join us. <laughs> so let's start off with some icebreakers. The icebreaker of the day is easiest way to take you out of a comic, or please rename a comic book character something more fitting. We'll start with Dave, at Count Paper, on Twitter. And then you can find us, of course, the Comic Trope, on Facebook and Twitter as well. Dave, give me something. What should I give you? Uh, Easiest way. What's the easiest way to take you out of a comic? Like, if you're reading a comic... Yeah, uh... Like, you're enjoying it, and then this happens, and you're like, "Nah, dumb, dumb. done. I cannot. I can't get back into this.
1: Man, there's a few things. Some of them I feel like if, if I say out loud, it'll make me seem like an asshole. Say it anyway. But it's—and I think I briefly touched on this during the last episode. It's when super improbable things go down. And I know that sounds weird, right, from someone who actively reads a lot of comics. That I would consider like a talking, you know, short walrus man—not improbable, but like uh, I... so. In the the book that I mentioned, Alaska Round, that should be remade, El Cazador, right? There's this notorious pirate that sails the high seas, and he hijacks this like luxury ship. And uh, this really wealthy girl who's good looking somehow manages to perform a mutiny and best this pirate king in combat, and it's just foolish, like, to me that, like, uh, and I stopped reading the book, I was like, yes, a 20-year-old from the lap of luxury in the middle of the 1700s young lady that wears a corset is going to best the pirate king in sword combat and take control of his ship, and now that's the plot of the story. I was like, I love pirates, but I'm not reading this, this is bullshit, and that... I don't mean that it only can be women besting men. That I don't, I don't, you know, because uh, I, I absolutely love strong female characters. But that's just that's bullshit and farce. Like I can't deal with that. Consistency. At all. You're yeah. talking about yeah, something that's right, like yeah. so inconsistent.
0: Yeah. Like you've built up this world and this incredible pirate, and then basically a intern from um, Duke Medical <laughs>
1: comes in and. Yeah, exactly. Uh, The ending of uh, Heat or Collateral. Fuck you, Michael Mann. Um, (laughs) Both those are just inconsistencies within their own universe. You know, you watch Tom Cruise kill the entire planet Earth, or at least Los Angeles, for, you know, the better part of 90 minutes. And at the end, a cab driver who's never held a gun before shoots him through a subway car. (laughs) Inconsistency in universe. Yeah, absolutely. That's a big one for me.
0: That's good. What about you, Sequoia? You want to rename you want to appropriately name a comic
2: book character for me, or do you want to talk to me about something that takes you out of a comic, or both? I'll, I'll do both, actually. Um, I had a hard time trying to think of a character that really needed to be renamed, but um, I think the only thing that struck me as being an appropriate change would be Dr. Doom. Because I feel that he doesn't deserve the title of doctor since he didn't graduate from college. That's true. I mean, he, he had his incident, his experimentation or whatever messed him up. He dropped out, and he started studying the mystic arts. So, he's not a doctor. He's PhD student doom. Exactly. So, he's a farce. Yeah. He should just be Mr. Von Doom or, or just, yes, yes, teacher's assistant Von Doom. <laughs> T-A T-A-D-A Z- T-A-D-A That's good Wait But Can I
0: ask In the hip hop community You can be a doctor Is it the same In the comic co-
1: Community Can you just say it Like if you're a super villain I feel like You know like. Well I know. and we have to believe That given his clout In his home nation Right He probably was he, given a doctor He was given an honorary yeah. I mean, Oh yeah Bill true. Cosby likes to flaunt That he's a doctor You know what I mean and Let's face it <laughs> He's played doctor once or twice, but he is not a doctor. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> not a doctor. Yes, he has both literally and figuratively played doctor. Oh, oh Sorry, Bill.
2: <laughs> but no, um, And going to your other question about things that take me out of a comic book, um, it's not so much a, a, a story matter, but if I really get into a book or series and there's like a... Like it's late and there's a huge gap between issues. I will drop a series um, and more than likely forget about it. Case in point was uh, is uh, Astro City is a book I absolutely adore, and uh, for medical reasons, um, Kurt Busick, you know, wasn't able to write the book, and um, I think when, but at the same time. He was able to complete his uh, his his work on Avengers at the time, and I read an interview with him. He explained that you know he he was obligated to finish Avengers because you know that was his bread and butter. Whereas you know Astro City was a labor of love, but I mean there was such a huge gap between story arcs and Mm -hmm. issues. that when he relaunched the book a few years ago with uh, Vertigo, I just wasn't interested. So it, all any interest or, or um, uh, you know, just need to follow up, I, it was just all gone. And I might, you know, go back and reread that stuff after the fact now that it's all collected in trade. But yeah, the book's... If if you spend too too long away, I'll I'll just forget about it and move on to something else.
0: And to me, that's why it's so much easier for me to read Marvel month to month mm-hmm. than read image or valiant yeah. month to month. What I'm saying is that I can pick up trades and read I can read five or six image, right? Just wait six months. Read the read the five or six and enjoy it. Whereas with Marvel, I know I can I can read month to month and it'll be all right. right. They get, they got the money behind them. Right. So I'm with you. Yeah, time between comic books can pretty much ruin ruin a comic book, which happened actually happened to Hawkeye towards the end because it, there was like a eight month between the last two comics or something like that.
2: Yeah, and I don't r- remember what the reason for that was. I mean, you know, Fraction was sort of, you know, kind of coming to his own again over at Image with Casanova and uh, Sex Criminals. Which, amazing comics. So. Yeah, both of those. <laughs> yes, yeah. and uh, I know he and his wife at <clears throat> the time. So, I mean, you know, he may have been busy with other things, but... You know, um, Marvel was always going to get back to that book, but I feel like, you know, it's more problematic, not so much with your mainstream publishers, more so with your independent books or even, like, hell, in some cases, miniseries like, uh, what, All-Star, Batman and Robin? Yep. You know, that just trailed off and didn't go anywhere. So, you know, I've always said when it comes to comic books, consistency is key. You always have to have a presence in the audience's face so they don't forget you and move on to other titles and such. I agree.
0: So now I'll talk about what takes me out of a comic is breaking the fourth wall. I need to... I can't be engaged directly by a character, even if it's for a comedy purpose. For some reason, it just totally... It it ends it for me. I can't.
2: So no Deadpool, no She-Hulk?
0: Uh, I like some Deadpool, but whenever... There's so much Deadpool out there, mm. especially now. There's
2: too much Deadpool
0: out yeah, there. <laughs> that if he breaks the wall enough, I'm done. Now the stuff that when he's part of a team he doesn't, so I'm I'm good. Right. Or he doesn't as much. Or, you know, if it's like a little snarky comment here or there for a comedy, that's fine. But when he like straight engages me, I'm done. Yeah. I, I don't know why, but I just don't want I don't want to talk to you. Is that dance from me.
2: Is the same, <laughs> Is it the same way me? when you watch cartoons like uh, Bugs Bunny or or any of that stuff.
0: Pretty... I mean, I don't know.
2: Cartoons are the kind of thing where you can just... To me, it's just
0: mindless. Yeah. I don't actually have to do anything. Just sit there and look at colors. (laughs) Um, And I guess... Colors. Colors. I want want Superman to have a new name. Because Superman... Everyone figures out a way to get to him. They're like... You know? Man. You have to, like... You have to... You have to do so much to hurt Superman, and there are so many creative ways that people have figured out how to do it, that I feel like Superman needs a new name. He's He's not very super. Well, he is Superman, but it just needs, you know, we need something else. Adequate man? Adequate. (laughs) Mostly man. Superior, (laughs) but if you find kryptonite, it could probably hurt a man. (laughs) I guess we'll stick with Superman
2: all right mr sequoia you want to talk to us about the person i just made fun of yes so uh yeah going back to uh superman being merely an adequate character and uh uh uh, all his flaws and such and in honor of uh batman vs. superman coming out this week uh the book i wanted to talk about was all-star superman and uh I forgot what year this came out, but it was uh, written by Grant Morrison with art by Frank Quietly. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was a 12-issue maxi-series, part of DC's All-Star line, which uh, I think its sister book was All-Star Batman and Robin at the time. But um, basically the premise to All-Star Superman is um, in a mission to save astronauts, uh, or I guess... uh, Trying to say astronauts who are on a mission to study the sun. Superman uh, inadvertently contracts uh, he he contracts uh, cancer uh, from too much exposure to the sun and finds out that he's terminal and that he is going to die. So with this knowledge that he doesn't have long uh, to live, Superman decides to live his life to the utmost and do all the things that he had never done before uh, with his life and and finally try to, I guess, uh, dot all the I's, cross the T's, and tie up loose ends. And uh, All-Star Superman to me, I think you know, there are a lot of people who, who don't like Superman. They just say he's a very, you know, he's too powerful or he's just a very effective or he's just a character that does not matter in the 21st century or has no place in modern comics. I feel like if, if you believe that All-Star Superman is the book for you to read, it is probably one of the most touching and amazing and just bizarre Superman comics that I've ever read and most people seem to agree I mean it's a very well loved book but I always say that you know if if you don't like that character that book will totally change your mind Uh, the key is you know it's the the heavy detail uh, in the artwork by Frank Quietly I mean it's just absolutely magnificent Um, Greg Morrison I mean this book is a love letter to uh, the Silver Age Version of Superman, so all those weird sci-fi tropes that popped up in those books, he totally embraces them, and um, like I said, it's just it's just a wonderful, touching book, and uh, I can't say I don't want to give away too much. Some people, you know, may not want to read it because they saw the animated movie, but I'll, I'll tell you this: the animated movie does not touch on the entirety of that book. But All Star Superman, that's my favorite, one of my favorite books, and. I just wanna talk about it very briefly and recommend it to folks.
0: I'm I'm a Superman hater and I haven't read most of the books that people tell me to. So I'll I'll pick it up because Grant Morrison is amazing. Like there's very few Grant Morrison books that don't that I don't engage with almost right away
1: yeah Yeah. well you've never read it before Mm -mm. it's great yeah you're I I would count and and Sequoia knows this well about me I definitely count myself among those that aren't necessarily like huge Superman fans Um, outside of him versus composite Superman which is fantastic. Yes. For all of... But that requires him being linked with Batman. That's right. For him to be cool. For him to be cool. (laughs) Uh, Composite Superman from the, uh, I guess that's Silver Age, isn't it? Yeah, that's Silver Age. That's part of the whole deal. Um, And Red Sun. I mean, All-Star Superman is my jam. Yeah. And I can't recommend All-Star Superman enough. And All-Star Batman and Robin was good too, but not as good as Superman.
2: Nah, and... Um, it's really a shame, I mean, because, you know, uh, they really let Grant go in there and just do his thing, and I really hate that a lot of what he was doing in All-Star didn't carry over to his run of Action Comics when DC launched it, relaunched it during the New 52. But, um, I mean, I have a a short list, you know, whenever I run into somebody who says they hate Superman, uh, All-Star Superman is the book I always recommend, but then there's, like, a couple others, like... uh, Superman Secret Identity by Kurt Busick. Superman uh, Secret Origin by Jeff Johns. Uh, actually, Jeff Johns' entire run of Action Comics, I think, is fantastic stuff. <clears throat> um, but yeah, All Star, I, I can't speak of it highly enough. I won't waste too much time I'm going into too much detail, but it's for the Superman haters. It is for the Superman haters. Right.
1: Yes,
0: yeah, I'm one of them, so I'm, I'm pick it up. Maybe we'll do a. Uh, We'll do a book review of it together.
1: Okay. Yeah, I mean, it humanizes Superman in a way that simply making him have weaknesses has never done. And I think that, you know, to your point a moment ago is that people are always just finding out ways to defeat Superman. So he's not so super all the time, it feels like. <laughs> but this humanizes him in a way in which, I mean, you know, I guess no one had ever thought about him being able to have something like cancer before. They don't call it right? like, super cancer, right? No. No. No, no, no.
2: As long as, as long as we're not doing that. We don't need any more super tropes. But, but, uh, I, but the other thing I will say about it is that, you know, there are some things. it, it bring, The good Superman stories are the ones in which he encounters a situation that uh, he can't necessarily fix with his powers. You know, heat vision can't, you know, bring somebody back from the dead or, you know, uh, what, cold breath or flying or any of that stuff. So it's those moments when Superman has to really use his brain and his intellect uh, to save the day. Those are the best stories. And as far as his vulnerabilities, it's not so much the things that affect him and his powers, but it's the things that touch on him emotionally. The, it's, it's the man element of Superman. That's, that's the important part.
0: Which comic was Bizarro Superman from, where, like, he had heat mouth
2: and he had, like, oh, he cold shot. ray eye? Which that, I think that was from the Silver Age. Like, yeah, he he shot... Yeah, heat breath and and freeze freeze, freeze vision, vision or something like that. Freeze <laughs> vision. Yeah, his powers were totally backwards. <laughs> ever, like and like he flew like backwards.
1: backwards. Yeah, he flew backwards. like back right.
2: toast, man. Yeah.
0: yeah. Wow. They just like <laughs> let's take let's take Superman, just reverse everything that he does, and it's a different character. Yes. There we go. Man, whom is super. <laughs> Mockingbird. So I've been reading <laughs> Mockingbird, which is. A new team of Chelsea Kane, who I don't believe has uh, written any other comic books other than she did a teaser 50th anniversary Mockingbird, um, maybe in December. And then a artist whose last name I will mess up, Kate Nimsiek. N I E M um, C Z Y K. Nimchek, I believe his name is. Yeah. Kate Nimchek. I'm going to cut that out. <laughs> Sorry, Kate. Okay. You sound real good if I messed your name up. I'm trying here. <laughs> <laughs> so, this book, without me going really in depth, only takes place inside a shield therapist base. And it starts off with Mockingbird breaking into her therapist-slash-doctor's office and breaks this two-sided mirror in which she sees a bunch of creepy, hairless old men wearing all white and a mysterious ping-pong being thrown at her. And so that's how it starts off. And it's (laughs) really weird. And... Also, let me point out that the cover is this action sequence of her fighting all these people, and there's no real fighting in the whole book. It's just really funny and strange. Uh, so rewind to the present time, and we're being shown Mockingbird in a in a therapist waiting room, and there's a bunch of other characters there, including Cage and Jessica Jones, who have... Chicken pox. (laughs) And it shows...
2: uh, Do they get it from their baby? Yeah,
0: yeah, they're holding their baby there. (laughs) And then it shows um, Howard the Duck reading guns and ammo. And it's it's just really humorous. And she's basically being checked by S.H.I.E.L.D. because she's been given the two most famous... um, Fluids, (laughs) fluids, <laughs> Captain America's Super soldier and And then also what's been slowing down um, The Infinity the infin- sorry, The two fluids in Marvel. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Said that, killed that. That sounds awesome. Um, <laughs> and she's doing paranoia charts. They're checking up on her. And there's this really, really funny uh, panel that shows her beating up... Um, Shows her beating up Iron Man, Tony Stark, and she's like, Have you been eating my quinoa? And he looks very scared. And there's kind of this humor, this pushing this book forward that really engages the the reader. And you also figure out that you don't know if you can trust Mockingbird in the way that she's telling the story, because she's basically at her therapist, and she's going crazy, and she's seeing things. And you just don't know where this book is going. And since I also, this is a new writer, and this is a new artist, I have nothing to base previous writing on. I mean, she has written a bunch of New York bestsellers. To me, it seems like a brand new new genre for her, and she's doing a really good job. And taking Mockingbird out of all of the teamed books and putting her in her own is something that hasn't happened before. And I think she's doing a really good job. The humor is right up my alley. It's very dark um, and not, not silly.
2: Which, you know, comic books are always silly. So it's sort of an action comic with humorous moments?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And
2: who would I suggest
0: this to? I would suggest this to anyone who is not looking for... A comic book comic book not like action 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 looking to be kind of engaged with a with a different kind of humor someone who wants to experience Mockingbird and, and give her a chance Alright, uh, I'm also reading Venom Space Night because anything that has to do with the symbiote or Spider-Man, I have to read. Or
1: space. You or space. Yes, and this, I
0: love it, Cosmic This stuff. throws all the three of them. the same, yeah, the same <laughs> So this is written by Robbie Thompson, uh, who is writing every Marvel book, apparently. He's writing Spidey, Silk, the amazing Spider-Man, and uh, he's written a lot of stuff, um, Spider-Man and Marvel in the past. And the art is by Ariel uh, Olivetti, mm. and it's really good, the, the art. So what's weird about Venom in space is that he's taking him away from the Guardians of the Galaxy, where he's basically just muscle. I mean, and now he's not only the muscle, he's just thing, but he's never had like a very forward-facing Part in Guardians of the Galaxy, like none of the, none of the comics are kind of, are directed by him, so he's pulled out of this team and he's trying to do good for the universe. He runs into a suicidal robot, called Eight Hundred Six, I think Eight Hundred Three, and this robot just wants him, just wants Venom to kill him. He's like, please kill me, kill me, kill me, kill me, (laughs) and Venom's like, nope, I'm gonna help you out. And so that's kind of humorous, but this is, this is what's getting at the part I don't like about the book. And then he also meets up with a giant killer panda who, whose son or daughter, her the panda's a woman, woman panda, mm-hmm. killer woman panda, named like Peaky or something like that. Um, yeah. Wow. They're going after the kid. It's humorous, and that's what I don't like about it, is that it feels like a Spider-Man book. Mm-hmm. It also feels like a Guardians of the Galaxy book, because not just because it's in space, but it, it feels like they're trying to make the Guardians of the Galaxy movie. Yes. So the tone isn't right for Venom. And I get that Venom isn't Venom anymore, that he's not, he's not evil, that this is um, Flash Thompson, which... I never remember being a humorous character.
1: Well, he was, he was never much of a character yeah. really at all until they kind of started introducing him more as kind of like Peter Parker's non-super well, guess, he's, antagonist. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah,
2: originally he in in the Spider-Man comics he was the guy who bullied yeah, um, Peter Peter That's in true. high school. Yeah. But uh, you know, as the book progressed, you know, um, I think Flash him and Flash became friends. They did, yeah, and. Uh, <sighs> Like I said, I'm trying to fill in the gaps of my memory, but um, I think I remember Flash being, uh, I don't know what conflict he served in. He was a soldier who wound up losing his legs, and through some kind of weird experimentation or whatever, they attached the Venom symbiote to Mm -hmm. him, and he became, what was it, Agent Venom? Yep. So it was... was, The Agent Venom books were okay. Yeah, Uh, I mean... Venom is so far away from what he once was and I know the Space Knight thing or or they changed his appearance like during that whole Guardians uh, Planet of the Symbiotes which story was good. But, yeah, that was a good storyline. The problem I'm having with this storyline, and I'm,
0: I'm still going to read it because I really like Venom as a character, mm. and I like Flash, and I love space stuff in general. And the baddie that they introduce, I won't ruin it, but he's a space pirate that goes back to um, the, the original Captain Marvel. So they're they're trying um, to grow okay. the Cosmo universe, and they're and they're using um, Venom Space Knight to do that. So I'm I'm okay with it because I think honestly I think that Marvel's cosmic plane is stronger than because it has less characters. Right. And I mean, the stuff that Abnett did, as you guys know, I'm a huge Annotation. a huge yeah, yeah a huge fan of of all of those comics. So anything space Marvel, I'm gonna read. I'm just worried about the tone of uh, Venom, and that's pretty much. It is an action comic book, though. I mean, like yeah. panel to panel, blowing stuff up, big guns. So if you're into that, I would suggest it. Easy read, uh, and not. It's not one of the most expensive out there. So, I, I would. Uh, I would wait for it to come out in in a cheap version, or wait for the uh, Marvel Unlimited. But I, th- I still think it's worth reading. Just because it's in space. <laughs> that alone. <laughs> that alone. Marble Space. Read it I'm gonna... because space. <laughs> Crossfire. You'll get it.
1: Crossfire! You're <laughs> <laughs> a
0: <Yeah, yeah>, yeah.
2: <laughs> You gotta
1: have those sweet leather jackets <laughs> <though>. <laughs>
0: So let's talk a little bit about the worst or most ridiculous crossovers that comic books have seen. Not not that I've read them, but I really want to talk about, because I think I could write
2: these books, Predator and Archie or Punisher and Archie. So that happened. It did. Yes. Well, you got to keep in mind that the 90s, particularly the mid to late 90s, was just rampant well, with crossovers. So
1: this is something that came up earlier this week in, in at work. A, a couple of guys and I were discussing a few things. And uh, somebody says something in effect of, wouldn't it be cool if the Marvel and DC superheroes were to ever get combined? And I go... Yeah. Well, let me introduce it's a, This person's younger, probably yeah. in their 20s, and so they would have no memory because they would have been very, very small at the, or not even alive at the time this was uh, a thing. But I had to explain to them Amalgam Comics, yes. and it has been a long time since I've given any thought to Amalgam Comics. So, I, I wikipedied, uh, the wikipedied, wikipedied? No, I, mean, Wik, w- wikipedied. I was about to say,
0: wikipedied is correct. No, it's no,
2: no, no, it's, it's, it's you wicked or wicked because, I wikied, okay. Because, because our, our, the slogan back in the day used to be if you asked a question, somebody would say, wick that shit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so I wicked that shit. And in, in showing them Amalgam Comics, it brought me down the the path of the more benign stuff like the exo man award iron man crossover right that kind of stuff god it was terrible right but uh but it also made me think about the really offensive stuff that was done and that's the amalgam stuff dark claw which was the wolverine batman hybrid um, i was just about to say i was just about to mention that and how awful it was
2: what oh, my God. It? Oh, I'm going to have a hard time remembering all those. Uh, there was the Ghost Rider Flash crossover. What
1: was that? Um, Speed Demon. Speed Demon. Um, Iron Lantern. Yeah. Oh, God. I barely <laughs> remember that. Superman and Captain America were crossed over. What were they called? He called. What was it called? Super Patriot? Super, no. Yeah, it was was no, that's
2: an Eric Larson character. Yeah, it was, but it was something along those lines. And then I remember they mixed up Doom uh, Doom Patrol and uh, X-Force. Yeah, there's a lot of... But yeah, those are all... Weren't they all like one-shots or two-issue miniseries? and, and, and more they did or that, less, yeah. They did like two
1: sets of Amalgam. Right, it was the stuff that Marvel put out on the Amalgam line. Yes. And then the stuff that DC printed on the Amalgam line. And each of them was more heavily weighted towards... The other's interests, yeah. and so it became not that it wasn't already convoluted just by its inception, but just that the whole thing just became just basically just a pile of puke. That's what I, that's how I yeah, refer to it. I, now. I remember being really excited about it at the time, you know, when it was coming out because it was just it was something you had never seen before. Yeah. But, and, it's, uh, and it's really only one; it's only something that they've done one other time since then when they did the Justice League Avengers stuff yes. in their, the mid two thousands.
2: Yeah, they really didn't cross over. I think towards the end of the 90s into the early 2000s, they stopped because there's some kind of beef between. Well, there's always been beef between Marvel and DC. But, yeah, they stopped doing crossovers altogether. Probably because they
0: weren't selling either. I mean, they couldn't
1: have sold. It, it sold like yeah, hotcakes yeah, when yeah, they really first came it, out. They yeah, yeah. first
2: came out, but, I mean, after people figured out how horrible they were, <laughs> they didn't really sell. But they were event books at the time, and, I mean, that's why they did so many of them because, you know, it's it's a fanboy thing. What would happen if, you know... uh Daredevil or Punisher fought Batman. So, I mean, they they put that stuff out, you know, just to kind of appease fans. And, I mean, people ate it up. Because I, I remember all sorts of that. It was uh, all Mark Silvestri's Top Cow stuff the team. It was like, uh, was Elektra and Ripclaw or yeah, some crap yeah. like that. Yeah. Jeez. You know, it's really hard to pick out some of that stuff. There's so much of
1: it. Yeah, there was a lot of that Shovel book, as I like to call it.
2: <laughs>
0: shovel book.
1: <laughs> Toss um, that right on the pile. <laughs> what about
0: Spider-Man and Ren and Stimpy? Did you know that happened? No. To- like, Toast... What was it? Toast Man? Toastman.
2: Toast Man yes. beats up Spider-Man? Oh, now I remember, yeah, because Marvel had the rights to uh, the Ren and Stimpy yeah. comic book. Spider-Man yeah. just... He, he's in every book that he could possibly be in, including
0: all of those creepy, like, um books that were supposed to, like, help kids, but really oh, yeah. were just, like, really creepy. Like, My Uncle Touches Me. Or the one, like, Don't Do Drugs, Kids. One, <laughs>
2: I was
0: like, Come to the bathroom with
2: me. And the Spider-Man's like, No, don't do that! <laughs> like, like, you need Spider-Man to tell you. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> spider is the face of Marvel Comics, and, you know, I think he's a very, still to this day, he's a very popular character with small children. You know, I think because of the visual appeal But uh, speaking of weird crossovers, okay, one I remember, like when you mentioned you wanted to do this, the one that stuck out in my head was the X-Men Star Trek crossover that they did. Tell me about this ridiculous book that I've never heard of. Yeah, so basically they they did two separate crossovers, and I think this was at the time uh, Marvel had the rights to produce... Uh, Star Trek comics, you know, with Paramount or whatever. Well, they've been DC for a long time. Yeah, they had been DC. DC,
1: DC had done a lot of Next Generation books and things. Yeah, they did.
2: Um, DC had them back during the 80s, but during the 90s, Marvel had them, and I think this is when Deep Space Nine and Voyager along the air. But, um, uh, the two crossovers, one was with the, uh, the original crew, you know, Kirk and Spock and all them, and then they did another one in which the X-Men, uh, met the crew of the Next Generation cast or whatever. But uh, the thing that stands out to me was basically Wolverine going into one of his Berserker rages and <laughs> Spock having to apply the Vulcan neck pinch to get him to calm down. I don't even remember what the damn story was was about. I think somehow the Phoenix Force was involved in it. But, yeah, I just remember that just being such a weird, odd thing. Because as much as I love the X-Men... The X Men to me do not belong in space. And granted, yeah, you said, well, what about all the, the Shiar stuff? It's like, yeah, no, that's. It's that's just, the worst X Men? Yeah, it's the worst. Some of the worst X Men stuff. It's like, when you get into that weird ass cosmic sci fi stuff, like, yeah, that's just not the X Men's wheelhouse. And, you need to keep them out of space. What? Well, pretty much ruined all of the space. Uh, they've
0: ruined much of the the cool space tales. Especially, what's uh, Cyclops'
2: brother, not Havoc? Oh, his dad, uh, Corsair from the Star Jam. I'm okay, the, uh, with, James. I'm, I'm okay James. with that.
0: It's his other brother. Vulcan. Vulcan. Yes. Vulcan
2: was not necessary. No, not did, There all. was already enough summers, so we don't need mm-hmm. another one. No more. No more. But, uh, oh, God, I'm trying to think of uh, some other odd crossovers. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog and Spawn. Yes, yeah, I, I, <sighs> I, I totally just, I just, about that. I'll i be honest with you, I just googled weird crossovers
0: and that's the one that keeps coming up. I, I'm not going to read that book, but I'd like to think that Spawn just destroys Sonic and Tails and that's it. <laughs> just crushes him and sends him to
2: hell. <laughs> what did Sonic ever do to Spawn? Nothing. What
1: could Sonic it ever do to Spawn? <laughs> what imprint could he have left... <laughs> I have a feeling. <laughs> Out of somewhere is a sentient hedgehog that moves quite quickly. <laughs> I, I recall Spawn
2: had a crossover with Batman yeah, back in the day, and that was actually pretty good. Um, apparently, was okay. <laughs> that Ninja Turtles Batman book
0: is pretty good. Really, I haven't read it, but last time I spoke with Amos, he said it was worth uh, worth worth reading because. Everyone from the Ninja Turtles is all funny, and Batman's just like, Stop with the jokes.
1: <laughs> the, uh. It's not a crossover, but speaking of Spawn, um, Angela being in the Marvel Universe now is still just like. Yeah. Uh, thing, it, 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 when she appeared in Guardians, and I, I go, what, what? Because I hadn't been following that court case. I. That's yeah. not any concern of mine, and so I had to get, like I had to wiki that I had to wig that shit yes. real quick. You know what I mean?
0: <laughs> I'll be honest with you. I, I just thought she was a new character. I
2: had nope. no clue where she from.
1: That, She's from Spawn. She was she was She's a result that. of the whole that lawsuit right.
2: that between right. Neil Gaiman that. and Todd McFarlane, because Gaiman created the character and basically part of Gaiman's deal of doing stuff for Marvel again, you know, doing the, uh, the Marvel Man or Miracle Man stuff was that he's like, hey, take this character, I own it, and you can do whatever the hell you want with it. And, uh, yeah, so now Angela, who originally was an image comic character, is now a Marvel comic
1: character. It's so strange. Because she just, there's that, uh, uh, the moment in, like, the the second arc of All New All Different Guardians. Yes. Where she gets awoken, kind of, and and keyed into what's going on with, like, the Age of Ultron stuff. And so she appears in this universe, and I just, it took me a minute, because I, wait. Yes. Wait. What? It's weird. Cause it, this looks just like Angela, Angela, yeah. and they're calling her Angela. Well, this is Angela. So I, I waked that shit and found out, and sure enough. And they don't know what to do with her, because it, so she, at first
0: I thought that she was going to be the new Thor, and I was like, oh, that's neat, because you know at that point it was rumored that Thor was going to become a woman, or and some people were like, oh my god, is Thor actually going to become a woman like uh, Bruce Jenner? I'm like, no.
1: It's actually going to be... The yes, Guardians are pretty... They're, they're pretty advanced. They, uh, <laughs> well, they can think, make that happen. Yeah, I think
2: <laughs> she took over the realm of Hell, so now she's more or less replaced Hella. Yep. Which is ironic, because she's supposed to be an angel yeah, or whatever, it's, so... It's yeah, weird, they, they don't, they don't know where to... Put, yeah. Yeah. yeah, true, yeah, I forgot, yeah.
0: <laughs> they don't know where to put her. They started Guardians, that didn't work out. And I actually thought she teamed up pretty well with Gamora, but... Who oh am I? Yeah. Keep them in space. That's what I try.
1: Keep them. Let's
0: we'll just go back to space. It's Easter today when we're recording. What
2: what's better to speak about than the prophet? A risen prophet. A risen prophet. Yes. Now, when you say the prophet, are you talking about uh, Muhammad? I am talking about <laughs> John Prophet. Oh, that prophet.
0: Image Comics. Mm-hmm. And this is an interesting one, because it's not a reboot, but it's a reimagining, and it starts off, like, comic 21. Uh, Sequoia, you seem to be pretty knowledgeable. Horribly knowledgeable. (laughs) About John (laughs) Prophet. So why don't you give us, uh, talk to us a little bit about, before this comic, what it was.
2: Yes. And then
0: we'll, we'll go into... Who is doing this comic and, and what it's kind of
2: turned into? So originally, uh, Profit was a comic book launched by extreme uh, Rob Blackwell under his extreme the Extreme Studios <laughs> banner uh, through Image uh, Comics, and um, this was around the time when you know Rob Blackwell was very prolific with the stuff he was putting out. If you remember his work, uh, Young Blood was his first book. Then he had Blood Strike, Supreme. Uh, Blood Wolf. A lot of blood in the image, uh, in in his (laughs) line of books. But uh, Prophet originally appeared in Youngblood, I think issue 2 or 3. And uh, he was a character apparently originally intended uh, for Liefeld's work uh, with X-Force. But uh, he kept it to himself and decided to bring him over to Image. But basically the the premise of uh, of Prophet, like I said, the the book came out in 1993, but... um, I think 1937-38, you know, early portion of uh, World War II. uh, John Taylor Prophet is a homeless man um, who is brought in by Dr. Horatio Wells uh, for, who is a time traveling scientist. He's brought in uh, so that Wells can conduct experimentation on him. Basically, Wells's goal he is to create a super soldier. Uh, through uh, genetic experimentation and uh, he essentially turns uh, Prophet into a Captain America type character who was originally intended for use in some kind of future holy war conflict, but Wells decided, along with Augmenting Prophet, that he was going to instill him with a strong belief in God in order to you know, be a champion in this holy war. And for whatever reason, uh, Prophet is put into stasis during the uh, late 30s and uh, is resurrected uh, in the '90s, and w- you know, which he runs into the characters of the book *Young Blood*, and uh, he sets about uh, fighting in this this modern holy war. So that's the basic, you know, premise of *Prophet*. Um, not a lot of meat there. It's you know, it's like a, a lot of Ralph Liefeld stuff. It's just pretty damn shallow. On the nose. It's it's a rip off of uh, of Captain America. A little bit of Omac in there, if you're familiar with that character. Um, I think it would be fair to say that pretty forgettable character. Yes. I mean I just remember a lot of purple when I think of Prophet. Yeah. Second. Purple string. and gold. Yeah. He was a Laker. Yeah. <laughs> he was an ECU fan, a Laker.
0: It uh and so then in two thousand twelve, surprise, surprise, Image makes a um they're resurrecting I think like ten titles. And this was one of them, and
1: yeah, they got the rights to all the extreme stuff, or yeah, the majority they, of
2: it. They brought back Glory, Prophet, Supreme, which was done by Warren Ellis. Mm-hmm. Um, let me see. I think The Infinite and Blood Strike, and I think they may have done a, a Young Blood book as well. But part of the interest was, you know, Image had just celebrated its like tenth or fifteenth anniversary, so they got a lot of the creators back together, and um, there was this. Revival of Extreme Studios and their properties and Profit was one of the books and probably the the standout one of them all in my opinion. Absolutely. And when it was announced it was all kind of everyone
0: had a unanimous what? Yes. <laughs> but... Or a why. That was... Yeah. <laughs> a, <Y.
1: laughs>
0: a lot of W words. Um, so Brandon Graham who I knew nothing about. So... The relationship that I have with this book is that I took probably like a five or six year hiatus from comic books, 2005, 2006. And I came back to comic books around the time that this, this first came out. And I wanted nothing to do with superheroes for a little bit. I wanted to re-engage with this medium in, a, in more of a science fiction, more of a thinking man's book. That's what I was looking for. And so I started reading this. I wouldn't say it's a thinking man's book, but it definitely engaged me in a a way that comic books haven't in the past. So I don't know much about Brandon Graham, other than he's part of a crew that's called Meat House, uh, who's done a lot of really interesting art, really strange stuff, lots of butts. There's lots of (laughs) butts being drawn by these people, uh, which is fine. (laughs) Nothing wrong with butt drawing. Just saying that I've noticed lots of butt drawing. And he's Eisner-nominated. He started off as a graffiti artist, and you can kind of really see that with his art. Though he hasn't done much art for this book, though there is, I think, a few comics that he did. Uh, The rest are done by three or four other artists... The only
2: one in whom I can pronounce is Simon Ray, and you can is pronounce is the is other guy. Simon Roy, um, Farrell Dalrymple, Dal and um, Giannis Milo Milano Giannis. I'm probably messing that last one up, but yeah, they, they he he has a uh, art t- art team that, that that circulates throughout the series. And I guess as we explain the book, you know, you'll kind of get each artist has a different story that uh, that they handle. Uh, but, you know, I won't go too much in that.
0: And volume one is pretty long. So let's see how much we can kind of explain it and it still be entertaining because, I mean, it's I think it's like 177 pages for the yeah. first volume. So it's a
2: lot. Four volumes in total so far. Yeah. I think... The most recent one, Earth War. The book's coming to an end with issue forty-five or forty-six, but I think it may have just. And there's the some spin
0: so this was very, this was very yeah, but, successful.
1: Yeah, the the, war, the Earth War is the new. Yeah, yeah it, it has just started. It started it, in January. Okay. Yeah. All right. So
0: here's the uh, here's the write-up that I found that I thought that did a good job on distant future Earth, changed by time and alien influence. John Prophet awakens from cryo sleep. His mission, to climb the towers of Theuli-Van and restart the Earth Empire. But news of the Empire's return brings old foes and allies out of the recesses of the vast cosmos. It's pretty good. So it starts off 10,000 years from the 1990s. (laughs) Right. And this weird worm, spiky worm, comes out of the ground... And then John Prophet emerges. John Prophet, what you know? What I really like about this book is the use of tech and how they explain what he comes out with. Right. So the first thing that happens is this weird goat-looking thing. It's on the hunt. It's, it's on with, the with hunt. four jaws. With four jaws four sets him, of him. Yeah. And he goes after it, and he wins, and he ends up eating it. He's got this really awesome knife. And he just goes at the weird goat alien's head, gets it good, and then eats it, and then explains all of the different
1: all the different gadgets that he emerges with yeah, and they do that um, kind of it, either each time they introduce a new piece of tech or any time that they introduce a new profit which is. Which I think in
0: any other book I would say is a negative. I would say I don't like being explained what kind of tech you have. But for some reason I see John Prophet as looking at what he has and he's like doing an inventory and he's like, all right, I've got razor wire, I've got climbing stuff, I've got binoculars, I've got a flint strike,
2: and and I'm all very survivalist gear you know, for somebody who just emerged from, from the Earth's core or wherever he's been buried yeah, um, Yeah. I mean it's, it's the beginning of the book's world building because um, it, it's such a far out sci-fi book um, and, and the other thing is with the book, there's so little in the way of dialogue that, you know, those little moments of kind of you know, exp- nar- not narration but uh, context and um, just Explanation of the different tech and gear it kind of fills in the gaps yeah and then I don't know how to explain
0: it but the narrator whoever it is um, gives us very little but gives us just enough to push the forward story with the art right it's the art that, that's really giving us what's going on but little stuff is added he kills what he knows he can eat right he feels the metal under his boots and it shows this spaceship so you know that the spaceship's made of metal because you can't get to clang or whatever uh, i like that and the art um, for this first for this first arc is isn't over stylized and i think that's what i like about it it's, it's very simple and building a world i mean is it's the landscapes are very Human, and then we're given these weird apes that I guess were humans have evolved into apes that are being enslaved, like you know, like monkeys, by weird bug people. Yeah. Which I don't um, really understand, but...
2: It, well, there's a lot... Of, initially, when you start off the book, there's a lot of what the hell. Yep. Because, I mean, for a book called Profit, you know, automatically it starts off 10,000 years in the future. Nothing about it is recognizable or, you know, familiar right. with, uh, with the previous book, so... Uh, you, you're kind of at a loss but like i said it's it's it, it pulls you in and it, it rewards you as you uh, as you travel along with the main character uh, you find out more as he finds out stuff and uh, it's a very fulfilling book in that regard
1: it's I think one of the, the, the first things that that I continued to to feel and to think about while reading the book was is fuck this place. Like I would give up. Like I would not <laughs> I would not be okay with finding myself on this version of our earth, like not in the slightest. Yeah, like, he literally is a man in a world full of monsters. Yeah, I would just lay down. But he seems perfectly content to just exist with them. He yeah. doesn't
0: seem human. He seems like He seems... Because he is, right? He's a super soldier. Right. He is having dreams, and they're telling him what to do next. So he's been pre-programmed to do certain things, and when something feels right, he knows he's doing the right thing. So he's in... He goes into something called Gel City. Yes. That is a a smell-based caste society, so no one can see him, I guess, right? Right. And he's put... What looks to be, like, some kind of gel...
2: Tentacle-like thing. thing
0: ...on him. Yes. So he smells. wears he's, it like a scarf. Yep. And uh, he's having problems eating because he, he has an enhanced stomach, but he still can't eat, like, this
1: puke that... Mold. They eat, like, a mold-based mold. food, yeah. That's really... Grown brutal. off of meat that we later learn is human. Yep. Uh.
0: Well, I mean, I think that you can even make the assumption early on that it's human because yeah, yeah. of all the apes that they have. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's called are. the Urnaga farm or something, like meat farm or something mm-hmm. like that. And you see them, they're like little like ferret chimp people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And you're like, oh, I guess that's humanity now. That is humanity. Yeah, it's, it's such a weird <laughs>
2: book. I remember loaning Tommy like the first two or three, and he was just kind of taken aback by and just... I remember the words he said. I did not expect this book to be as gooey as it was. (laughs) It's kind of (laughs) gooey. Yeah, and and it is. It's just. (laughs) I mean, the aliens are just so grotesque and off putting. And the things that John Prophet has to do in order to survive is a little unsettling. I mean, I think at one point, yeah, he does consume human flesh, but he seems perfectly fine with it because
0: he's not very human again like he looked human yeah I mean he he obviously is human but his behavior it he's. And so he has, so to go back to the book, right? He has this dream that tells him to go down in Jell City. Mm -hmm. So he's going down into Jell City. His dreams are telling him that I guess there's additional ammo or additional guns or additional something.
1: Little uh, blarg scarf or whatever it is. Blarg scarf. Yeah, I think the term
2: I I learned uh, that applies to this book, uh, biopunk okay that's a thing <laughs> uh, I was I, first time I read it last night for the first time but yeah a lot of the stuff it's a lot of um, bioengineered organic mm. tech based organic based technology I guess akin to Cobra Law from the G.I. Joe cartoon absolutely yeah that, that was the thing the
1: empire was, of Cobra Law yes they should do a crossover <laughs> speaking of crossovers <laughs> I'm seeing it Cobra Law um <laughs> So yeah, another
0: one of those hairy, spiky ground worms pop up, and inside of it is something called a dole mantle and a translator ball. I'm pretty sure we all know what the translator ball does, but the dole mantle basically does whatever he needs it to do, and it becomes the most important thing that he has throughout this book. It can become um, a breathing apparatus, apparatus, an arm, anything. Alright, but then. A parachute. A one. parachute, yep. yeah. So, the Dole the Mantle he's got. He's got a translator ball. And then, these bug people carrying bug weapons <laughs> roll up on him because it's made too much noise. And the Dole Mantle saves him from getting shot in the back. And he fights these weird, bug, gross, bug, gel city people. And it uh, looks like he eats one of them. So, good for him. Yeah.
2: Well, he needs to, he needs to uh, uh, restore his nutrients after uh, yep. all that heavy combat he
0: and then, to stay alive. Oh man! This is, and then my favorite part of the book yes, the first book comes up where he, he's going back to his bug palace or whatever the, he wants to call it oh, his God. little pod, and he's being told to go meet a contact a contact for this mission someone on the inside. Right, um,
1: Dave. How would you describe the face?
0: Of his contact.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, you know, here's the thing. It's the mixture basically between... Well, it's a vagina. (laughs) It's definitely a vagina face. It is is
2: a face only Georgia O'Keefe could love. It it (laughs) absolutely is. There is no
1: other way to describe this bug. But it's not really... It's not bug like everything else that's there. No, it's it's wormy. It's it's hairy. hairy, Yeah. Hairy, wormy. We learned that it's, I guess, a she... Because the first thing it I does need. is demand that John Prophet mate with it, and so and then it smokes a crack pipe, <laughs> kind of space crack pipe. <laughs> it smokes a space crack pipe. <laughs> space. It has <is> space crack. <laughs>
0: I, and I, for people who aren't going to read this, and you should. <laughs> because, which is a shame, because you should read it, even though we're, because we're doing a horrible job of talking about how awesome it is. But I would actually say that Alice in Wonderland worm is very similar to to the caterpillar. The caterpillar looks. I feel like this is the um, X-rated version of the caterpillar. Yes. You know, if you took let's just let's just put it this way. Last thing I'm gonna say about this is if you took a caterpillar and a vagina and put it together. That's what this was like, yeah, (laughs) Yeah, in a weird
2: sort of way. Yeah, that's true. Well, and Alice in Wonderland is sort of a proper metaphor for, uh, or proper, uh, I guess, uh, comparison for this book because it's uh, someone that we're meant to identify with, and their journey through a very strange, (laughs) alien-like landscape. Um, well, okay, yes, I'll admit maybe we're not doing the best job of describing this book because we are using words like grotesque and uh, Vagina pillar <laughs> Yes, and, and and gross insect, gloppy, gloopy I mean, yes, this <laughs> this is a really gross looking book, but it's a very fun book but um, I guess the thing we, we do have to touch on is just sort of what about it appealed to us and Um, Like you said, you wanted to read something that was non-superhero based. Myself at the time, when I read the book, was looking for something more sci-fi oriented. And basically, this is a very hard sci-fi book reminiscent of, say... um, any of the uh, work of uh, the guys who who did the heavy metal magazine back in the 70s -hmm. like Mobius or Jodorowsky or Blah or Jimenez Uh, it it is that type of sci-fi story wise and artistically has a very European sci-fi sensibility to it and to get that out of something that Rob Liefeld created during this yeah it's amazing it's, it's an interesting take on well you know things.
1: what I kept coming back to the whole time I mean obviously we've, we've mentioned it's its visual style right in, in the way that it, it kind of can be off putting from yeah. that perspective and I think that if anybody has trouble reading it it's probably for that reason but what I kept getting from it over and over again was this shit is Conan yeah which he said is his was his
2: uh, Roy Thomas's seventies Conan stuff was his
1: influence for this. He wanted to out Conan Conan. Well it makes is. sense because that's what I kept coming back to over and over again. It's it's the even through absurd adversity, the character John Prophet and how he's able with such like kind of cocksure steadfastness, like I will best this, I must best this. I don't have another like there's never any path other than the way forward. Right. And he kind of looks like Conan. I mean yeah, the, he's kind of the shaggy marvelous. like, hair. Yeah. He's he's Conan in the spacesuit. Yeah.
2: Space Nan.
0: <laughs> space Nan. Oh man, I love Nan. It's so delicious. So the tone of this book is what sold me on it. Mm-hmm. Because the whole time, the reader is trying to find something to identify with. Right. And you can't. You can't identify with John Prophet because he doesn't feel human. You can't identify with any of the characters because it's so far in the future that you have no you have nothing to latch on to, so you just have to trust the narrator who we don't know who we don't we don't know what the narrator is. It's just describing what John Prophet is doing. And that kind of space that's created where you're just floating in this world and being brought along is what really grabbed me.
2: You have to accept a lot on face
0: value. Absolutely. So going back to the book, after he has mated with his informant, she he informant explains that John Prophet needs to find the God satellite and restart reawakening the Kate. Earth's Empire. Yeah. And in um What is... I don't actually understand what happens here, but that worm gets something out of... Cuts something out of... uh, Uh, Something that, like, I
1: guess during their weird coitus, it put inside him, and I guess he fertilized it, which is kind of a cool kind of backwards way, and so Uh, then it laser cuts it out of him. Like, thank you for this. I appreciate you being part of this process.
0: And so then he can... That creature can have a baby now. Yeah, exactly. Okay,
1: I didn't well, catch like, that. That's neat. Yeah, I, and I guess that helps too because since it smokes smoke space crack, you definitely don't want to house the embryo in it.
2: So. Yeah. <laughs> <No>. <laughs>
0: well, the space crack. That's that's why there's only one of him left. <laughs> that's true, <laughs> you know. It's feigning. All right, and uh, that's the end of the the first comic. A lot happened in the first comic. Oh yeah. <laughs> Which is uh, pretty interesting. So he he's moving on his way to the satellite, to the god satellite. He is far away, and he runs. He leaves Gel City into another city that seems to also be a whole lot like Gel City, and it's called uh, a Toxic Caravan.
2: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah okay. This is the city or the 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 village that's built on the back of those giant moving beasts. Yep, and like yeah, they're they're, they're this constantly moving caravan, and the beast that this society village tribe whatever the beast that they that they built their their village on top of. I think the whole idea is the the, the leader of the caravan eats whatever is in front of it, and then. Whatever it excretes, the beast behind it eats that, excretes that, the beast be- and so on and so forth. So yeah, it's a human centipede. And then the last beast to eat,
0: they the the people of the city collect that and then sell it as a drug.
1: Right. Right. So. Well, not even just a drug. They mentioned that their homes are made out of it. Yep. That it like basically sustains life. I mean, I guess it's spice in a weird sort of way. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty,
0: I mean, you have to admit that the world building in this is pretty complete. And, I mean, just so much is given in so little words.
1: Well, they talk about a lot about how it's, it's just fact. They don't try to explain the concept of it. That's true. It's like, well, as you well know, we use this to build homes from. Like, right. I didn't know that, but now I, I guess I understand <laughs> that.
0: <laughs> and we're, in the process of this, we're introduced to a, a Zuguin blade-wearing um, badass who is... wears all of his victims' heads on his back. And I guess he just kills people for fun or for money? Not really sure. But, for, but sport, but for sport, for sport. Yeah. yeah, we're introduced to him. And... the most important thing out of out of this comic is that... Well, there's a bunch of stuff happens, but the, the one thing I pulled out of this is that he's being allowed, John Prophet is being allowed to live amongst them by the king, who is in some kind of stasis, right? And he finds out through his translator that they plan on killing the king, right. and he thinks that's wrong, even though in the back of his head, he's being said, this isn't your thing, man move on he's like nope i'm gonna go kill the guy who's trying to kill the king right and then he finds out that he just totally messed up like a tradition amongst this tribe to that the new king kills the old king right and so all then he's got to run because he's got a bunch of bug people coming to get him <laughs> and he ends up killing a bunch of the bug people in throughout this comic which then attracts the assassin that I mentioned earlier who starts to track him right
1: and uh, it's pretty awesome I mean he's he has all kinds of things happen to him you know And this uh, the it's just the first two issues that this prophet is in correct mm-hmm. or is it the first three the first three the first three of the six six arc run mm-hmm. Or six-issue art. Um, before he gets to his eventual, you know, place, he, he gets to this this tower that leads into space, right? He's got the, the headhunter on his trail, essentially. He's captured this drone insect, and he's flying it across the wasteland. And, um, you know, he gets his arm smashed off. Right. Um, he starts eating weird meats, and he steals the arm of a, a weird insectoid creature that then the little... Uh, mantle that he wears, picks up and attaches to his body to use as an arm. I mean, it's, and there's a lot of this throughout the book where it's. You're not given enough time to question why yeah. would this happen. You're just like, oh, yes, now the mantle has taken a new insect arm that right. was going to be neat. <laughs> and I love the fact that he basically is eating in every other panel like he was Brad Pitt in the Oceans movie. Like, <laughs> he's he's just eating every other panel. And I, I love that. It's just that because it, it definitely lends like this... Level of survival to it, right? Is that I have to eat this, and I, ugh, I can't eat this, and this is terrible, but I have to, and I'm going to keep moving. And
0: that's—he you know, just doesn't seem
2: human in that in
0: that regards. Yeah, it's just like uh, his his job is to survive and to restart the planet Earth.
2: Well, you know, the whole thing with the, with him losing his arm and him constantly eating it reminds us that this is a character that can be killed, and I think so often with the comic books we read. You know even if they are killed we know that they're going to come back but there's a sense of, of real peril in this book you know there's a sense of urgency that he has to accomplish his mission and that uh, there are a lot of things along the way that are they're that going to try to stop him and he could very well fail but he's even though he doesn't act human he very much is human he's a vulnerable hero and that's something that's kind of rare in uh, modern comics,
0: yeah, and and so the the this book ends with John Profit um, escaping that town on a half dragonfly, half pony, I think, and then he gets shot down by. But man, that really does remind me of uh, Cobra. Cobra Law's, like...
2: Yeah, all their weapons were bugs. weapons. Yeah. yeah. Spore weapons. Yeah, spore weapons. Like <laughs> right. nothing's mechanical. Everything's made of something organic. Yeah. Right. So he gets hit and then uses
0: his little blue buddy... What, what did we say it was called? It's
1: a, it's a mantle. I forget the exact that. word that they use for it.
0: So that becomes a parachute, and he's climbing up... Dole mantle? I think that's yeah. what yep, mantle. it was. You're right. So he's climbing up the, the large mountain that is close enough to... The god satellite that he can get up there, but then we are given. Uh, then the assassin comes up, cuts the dude's arm off, but he just he just keeps moving up, and the dole mantle becomes his new arm. He makes it to the god satellite, and he almost gets killed by this assassin, and then we're shown other humans for the first time in the book. And they're not just other humans. Even better, they're other John Prophets. Yep, a whole bunch of clones. More Johnnies. Johnny, Johnny lived often. And he is able to restart the God satellite. I don't know what was so... Did we ever figure out what was so special about this John Prophet that he was able to do it?
2: Well... I guess I don't want to give away too much of the book, but I, I guess uh, the thing that we learn about John Prophet is that, like, like I said, there's a series of clones of John Prophet and each one has a different name or title or rank, but each one has been genetically enhanced to fulfill particular uh, uh, missions. So, okay. you know, some are better suited for certain types of tasks than others. Uh, I, I think our John Prophet that we start, started story with is just a regular soldier prophet, but at the same time, I mean, you know, he's he's obviously superhuman. But you, he, there's variation amongst them yeah. to make them uniquely suited for uh, certain tasks. Yeah, because he gets into the the spaceship
0: satellite main seat and starts up the uh, the universe, and so all the other prophets are awoken because of him. Right. And then that's where this book ends, and that's our introduction to this world, is through a soldier, a John Prophet soldier, and we're given... I mean, this, was, this book was really used to show us the universe. Right. I don't want to go too much into depth over the rest of the John Prophet stuff. There's, so there's two, main, two more main stories in this volume. Right. Uh, but I will mention
2: that one guy has a tail, and I don't know why. He's a different John Prophet? Yeah.
0: This John Prophet has a tail.
2: He, that tail will find a purpose, I'm sure, whatever. I mean, it probably
1: acts as a, a third arm or, you know. Well, it, it, it bats around uh, some of those uh, defense systems that he encounters kind of early on mm-hmm. when he, he kind of falls from stasis. Uh, but I liked how when the second John is awoken, he does the exact same thing the first John does. He takes his little mica cane or whatever it was, which is... Some sort of an adrenaline shot or something. Yeah, yeah, to
2: kind of pump him up from waking up, from from being in stasis for so
1: long. Um, And then a ghost girl leads him to his mission.
2: Do we ever figure out, is the ghost girl just in his head? And that's like
0: how
1: he...
2: Or she's an echo
1: of the the station that he's on? uh, It's a
2: telepathic projection. Yeah. And like I said, I don't want to reveal too much, but um, (laughs) it's a damn good book. And I mean, it's... Like I said, it's really hard sci-fi. And, I mean, you know, you you re-encounter a lot of what-the-hell or huh or why moments. But, I mean, as you progress, it it rewards you. So I've only read Volume 1. Yeah. Would you suggest to read this all the way through? There's four volumes, right? uh, Yes. Uh, I I highly recommend it. Um, And, like I said, I don't want to give away anything because there's something something that's revealed about the book. Um, And Volume 2. Oh, uh, yeah, volume two and three. Okay. Something comes up. So, uh, no, it's a damn good story. And I mean, I like the fact that it's Fire Night. And I think I enjoy that more from comics to know that we are working towards individuality. Something. Yeah, because, you know, the only example I can really use is television. Is that, you know, so often you, soap operas, like all my children, you know, you. Uh, there's only so much story to tell and if you go on too long, you you tread the same ground too often and it doesn't really lead to much in the way of compelling, compelling storytelling. So to know that you're working toward, towards a conclusion you know, makes every issue of that story, makes every moment um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just more, um, there's more to savor. There's more to get out of it because you know, it You've only got so much time with these characters in this in this story, so sure you can't. I mean,
0: Superman can never die. Yeah, yeah. Superman
2: is always going to be doing the same thing, more or less. Same thing with Spider Man, Batman. Yeah. And, and comic you know of that people
0: aren't right. gonna people aren't gonna pick this up. At, at, and like, he's he's got to end of the story, and the, the chances of it getting picked up again and, and relaunched are slim. I thought the tech was fantastic. Uh, the lack of conversation in the first book. Worked because it was pushing this world forward. Mm-hmm. Instead of having to subtly talk about technology, they just gave it to you right there, and, right. They, and they just blew this universe up for
2: you and introduced you to it. I thought it was really good. That and that's the thing. I look see. I was reading the book when it was coming out back in two thousand twelve, and um, so now is probably a, a better time to be reading it and getting into it because you know it's all been. Collected in the trade paperback granted this new volume is about to come out But I mean if you give that long enough that'll be collected in the trade paperback as well And that's part of the reason why I stopped reading the book because trying to read it month to month to month You know this is not a month-to-month book. I could not see anyone reading this month Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of that's how I started
0: yeah, and I couldn't do it, but I really enjoyed it So Mm -hmm. I only read month to month the first the one the story we just went over right and then I stopped and I read. I just recently read the collected now, and I, I'm definitely gonna go on to volume two and three. I think that it's a, it's it's very refreshing in a world of
2: superheroes to be able to read something like this. It's fantastic world building. So I mean, yeah, you know, if you want something unique, I mean, this is definitely it. Um, There's not a lot in comic books that I can compare it to, you know, other than some of the stuff from Metal Hurling. But I mean, just as far as American comics. It's unique. The closest thing is Conan, And, and it's not even... Not even really that. Not it's even more. That.
0: Yeah. It's more than that. So yes, that's uh, Profit. You should go to your local comic book store and buy it.
1: Absolutely. I Again, this is one of those things where uh, probably when you first got back into comics, we were comparing comic lists. And so often, Blake and I never have any crossover whatsoever mm-hmm. in what we're reading. And he goes, uh, you should read Profit. And I go the Liefeld book he's like oh well no they're relaunching it and so in my mind I'm thinking oh that purple and gold dude uh, you go ahead and read that Blake I'm fine uh but whenever we you know we decided to do the the, the podcast focus this week on profit um you know and picking it up I'm definitely going to read the rest of the books now like there's no question like I need to know and see this through through its uh eventuality yeah
0: and it's like yeah. If you're okay with reading it online, I think it's only $7.99 per volume right now. Yes, yeah, it's, it's pretty
1: cheap, yeah. I bought it from Comixology, so... Okay.
0: That's good. All right, let's move on to our final, final segment of the show. Kill, keep,
1: or reboot? Coming <laughs> off the heels of uh, reboot, right? <laughs> and kind of a kill, and kind of a keep. I mean, the yeah. profit, I kind of saw all three in a, in a very short amount of time. Yeah. So let's talk about
0: something that I am okay with keeping Mm. right now, and that is keeping Wolverine dead. Mm. I'm all right with it. Uh, At first, I was very sad. The death of Logan was hard for me, Mm. being that he's a fellow Canadian, Mm. but...
1: (laughs) Mm. The,
0: the way around it, by having uh, Old Man Logan have his own, has his own gig, is pretty good. It, it's being introduced as problematic because it's from a different universe, and the history that Old Man Logan has is different than the history that is going to happen and the different than the history that has happened to Wolverine. So everyone's like, no, that never happened, Logan. That never happened. Who are you? I think that's cool, and I think that um, X-23, as the new Wolverine is working out, and uh, I hope that he stays dead, as much as that he has been such a part of me growing up. Uh, I'm alright with that. So, there, just put it on the table, guys.
1: Dave, kill, keep, or reboot? Oh, man. Uh... I mean, as, as far as, a, as a, a keep is concerned, I think I definitely agree with you. I think I mentioned last time that, you know, I, there are some major iconic heroes that I think need to die, right? And stay dead. Maybe if not forever, then at least long enough for us to like really want the hero to come back. Um, you know, Superman comes to mind as like one of those characters where I, none of us really were like clamoring for Superman to die, but they, you know, most of us weren't reading Superman anymore, so they were like, let's kill him. And he'll stay dead. It's the death of Superman. Um, and it didn't take very long for them to be like, all right, well, we've got to reboot him now. Um, <laughs> and they didn't keep any of the new iterations. So, I mean, with the, the possible exception of like, you know, Steel or in some of the other yeah, ways, the Superboy. Superboy. Um But like, you know, I, I really liked Energy Superman. And that yeah. didn't last very long, right? I mean, so. Do you want to reboot Energy Superman? Uh, Is that what you want? That, listen, I would be okay with rebooting Energy Superman. No, not you, Koya? No. You don't wanna go back to Energy Superman? No, no. I thought he was infinitely cooler. Um I I don't know. Like I I'm not much on the reboot thing, honestly. Unless you're gonna do it all new, like profit, right? Unless you're really gonna come out of left field with it. Mm-hmm. I'm not much for, for for the reboot thing. So I mean I guess as far as a keep is concerned, I've actually been really happy with uh, the way Marvel's been handling a lot of its franchises right now, and if I've got any any wish that I can send out to the universe, it's to keep doing that because I really like that. Although, if you can stop doing one thing, stop replacing really well-known heroes with girl versions <laughs> or, or gay versions. I, I'm fine with gay characters and girl characters the way that I'm fine with male characters, but make them make sense, right? It's like you know what, people don't like Thor anymore; they're not really reading it. What if it was a girl though? I, I, to me, that doesn't seem like enough of a thing. Give us, let,
0: let writers make great Marvel comic book characters who are of different backgrounds, different genders. Don't give me, don't, don't give me more uh, black Captain Americas. Don't give me girl Thors. Don't you know? Don't make Iceman
1: gay just to make him gay. Right. Like, Give give or me dude. Alan new Scott, characters. in fifty two. You know what I mean? Like, I, why not just a new Green Lantern that's gay? Mm-hmm. Why, I mean, that'd be fine with me. We already know Alan Scott. Why do we have to be like, but this time, he's gay, right? <laughs> like, it, I think well, that says more about our our inability to imagine what a strong gay hero would look like, when yeah. we have to take a pre existing property and be like, oh, I'm gay now
0: or at least and I'll, and this will be the last I say about it at least keep them after you've made you don't know, go back don't, yeah don't don't give steve rogers the helm of captain america again don't because once you become captain america what what can you become you're like the once captain america yeah. like don't you know don't make thor thor again or don't make a, you know, don't take the thorness away from female thorn. Like keep, keep her thorn. <laughs> The power thorness because it, to me it just like I what we're trying to do what Marvel I think is trying to do is good I think they're trying to do the right things but if you go back to the way it was that's not saying that
2: well, it basically it just comes off as being a gimmick.
0: Yeah, don't yeah, make, you know?
2: You know, <laughs> and, and don't that, make diversity
0: a gimmick in
2: comics. And and that kind of ties into I guess what was was going to be my kill keep re- re- reboot because my thing is neither, but it does tie into what Dave was saying. But um, you know, after seeing Batman versus Superman a couple of days ago, and. You know, realizing that this is the launching pad for DC Cinematic Universe God, and their Justice League movie, <laughs> and uh, how they're trying to make the movies mirror the comics and vice versa. I it, this isn't a, like I said, it's not a kill, keep or reboot, but watching that. I realize how much John Jones needs to be back in the in the Justice League and cyborg needs to be back with the Titans so I don't want them to kill cyborg and I don't necessarily want them to reboot anything but they definitely need to go back to that original status so I guess it's a reboot can. A kill boot, yeah, because I get the thing I'm I'm painful, painfully aware of is that the effort to put Cyborg into the Justice League was to raise that character's profile because they felt that they needed more ethnic diversity in the Justice League. And, you know, there's been a lot of that uh, the last few years. And it's one of those things where, you know, how I feel as a black reader versus how somebody else may feel as a black reader or a gay reader or a female reader. We're not all going to be in agreement about whether or not we like this stuff. Um, it's going to appeal to somebody. But I feel like, you know, some of this is is it's very genuine in its. Um, and it's uh, in intentions. I mean, they're trying to show uh, goodwill and trying to reach out to various types of readers. Well, they're, and they're,
1: I, they're looking for inclusion.
2: Yes, exactly. So, yeah. Thank you. Um, but then at the same time, it's like, well, but it also smacks of, in my opinion, Tack- tokenism.
1: Yeah. Or, you know... Being tacked on after the fact. Yeah,
2: it's just a money, not even a money grab, because, I mean, <laughs> it's not a lot of money in comics, but it's... Well, throw in something you like and you like. Yeah, and I feel like by doing that with Cyborg, it just really, it doesn't work. It was the wrong choice. It was the wrong choice. I mean, it's like, if you felt like they had to have diversity, well, then damn it, put in Jon Stewart as the Green Lantern, you know, because more people are familiar with that character from the cartoon series. Yeah. Or, you know, but Cyborg's just such a weak damn character you know, maybe he was cool back in the 70s or 80s,
1: but it just, it just does not work. Well, I mean, and there's an instance of a character of, of the non-white male, you know, persona that does work. John Stewart was just introduced as a character, right. and he took up a familiar helm. But by that point, we were already very comfortable with the fact that there just are many Green Lanterns, right? right, right. So it wasn't like that was out of left field. I mean, I heard the kids say whenever the Green Lantern movie was coming out, why is Green Lantern a white person? Yeah. You know what I mean? It's because they had been watching for the last, you know, five plus years Jon Stewart in the the animated stuff. And like Hal Jordan's not their Green Lantern. So I guess that's the thing that works best for me. And it's it's weird to say it, but of all the more recent properties to try and, um, you know, I I won't say reach out, but like just represent in the fictionalized world what is represented here in the real world Mm -hmm. is Star Wars does a, it has traditionally done a better job of it than anything? Lando, he's not just like a, a black character that joined the crew; like yeah. he's a significant part of the of the universe. Uh, and then you look at the new film, especially too. I mean, like there's not a white male in any of the leading cast.
2: Right. Like, uh, yeah, Star Wars de- definitely does a better job of it.
1: But, um, but that's the kind of stuff I want to see more of. Like, just introduce me to a new character that I can get behind. Yeah. And they can be whatever.
0: Yeah. I think that. One thing that we can take from this conversation and seeing how and what com- what's being done in comic books is at least we can say that it's obvious that certain publishers are trying. They're right. trying. And, and I, the, I, all, and the only thing that, that we have a gripe for is the way they're doing it. But maybe, you know, maybe playing devil's advocate here, maybe just pushing it through and making it happen it, is the right way yeah. so that so other things can happen. You know, maybe by having a black Captain America, even though, to me... I I feel that I know they're going to take it away from them,
1: yeah.
0: and that I think that's the wrong way to go about it. But maybe by doing this and just pushing it out there, it it kind of pushes pushes diversity forward in comic books enough that we won't be having this conversation in five years. That it will be it will be something that
1: has blossomed right. correctly well it, it you know to keep this on topic I'll say hey guys just kill keep and reboot diversity <laughs> <laughs> that's, good. Yes. that's good yes that's what I want to see I want them to do all three to diversity yes. there you <laughs> go
0: alright well from the comic trope to
2: whoever's your listening trope. to this your trope from, from our trope to yours this is
0: Blake Sequoia and Dave saying we'll talk to you later